Hello and welcome to episode 95 of Pay-Per-View, in which I review newspaper headlines and current events and place events and headlines in their true context. And the first subject for this episode is space. This is in the Daily Mail. Earth is hit by a blast of energy from a dead star so powerful that scientists cannot explain it. The intense gamma rays detected using a vast system of telescopes in Namibia would sizzle humans to a crisp if we were exposed to them. They originate from the Vela Pulsar, around 1,000 light years from Earth, which has already been compared in appearance to the mask from Phantom of the Opera. Pulsars are the remains of a massive star that blew up an estimated 10,000 years ago as a supernova then collapsed in on itself. British astronomer Dame Jocelyn Bell Burnell was the first person to discover a pulsar in 1967, but this study marks the highest energy rays from a pulsar yet seen. Sadly, it doesn't mean the aliens are trying to contact us, according to study author Arak Genatiatai from the Astro Particle and Cosmology Laboratory in France. It is true that when they were first discovered back in 1967, the sources were named LGM1 and LGM2 for little green men, but that was almost a joke. We know for sure pulsars are corpses of massive stars and there is no need for any alien intelligence to produce the signals that we see on Earth. The article continues, Pulsars are described as leftovers of stars that spectacularly exploded in a supernova, the largest explosion that takes place in space. These pulsars emit rotating beams of electromagnetic radiation, somewhat like cosmic lighthouses. If their beam sweeps across our solar system, we see flashes of radiation at regular time intervals. These flashes, also called pulses of radiation, can be searched for in different energy bands of the electromagnetic spectrum. Now, the electromagnetic spectrum is said to be around 0.005% of what exists in the universe in terms of energy. Some say 0.5, but either way it's fractional. But visible light is the only frequency band that we can see, and that's said to be a fraction of the 0.005%. So according to science's estimation of what could be detected in terms of energy and what we can see, uh, electromagnetic energy that we can see, then we don't even see 1% of light that actually there is to see, according to their estimations. So what exists beyond that? Anyway, the article continues... These dead stars are almost entirely made up of neutrons and are incredibly dense, said Hess scientist and study author Emma de Owner Wilhelmi. A teaspoon of their material has a mass of more than 5 billion tons or about 900 times the mass of the Great Pyramid of Giza. The article continues. One particular pulsar that's long been of interest to scientists is the Vela pulsar, located about 1,000 light years in the southern sky at the constellation Vela. Vela Pulsar is only about 12 miles in diameter and makes over 11 complete rotations every second, faster than a helicopter rotor. As Vela Pulsar whips around, it spews out a jet of charged particles that race out along the pulsar's rotation axis at about 70% the speed of light. Using the High Energy Stereoscopic System Telescope Observatory in Namibia, the scientists studied gamma rays, which have the smallest wavelengths but the most energy of any wave in the electromagnetic spectrum being emitted from the Vela Pulsar. Scientists think that the source of this radiation may be fast electrons produced and accelerated in the pulsar's magnetosphere, its system of magnetic fields. Much like planets, including Earth, pulsars have a magnetosphere, an invisible force field that funnels jets of particles out along the two magnetic poles. 
The magnetosphere is made up of plasma, and it's said that plasma is uh, 99.9999, etc. percent of space is plasma. An electromagnetic field that the surrounding co-rotate with the star. And plasma is the perfect medium for electricity and electromagnetism to pass through, because on one level our universe is electric. And there's another interesting article I found on space, which is on the CNN website, interestingly. This is about the Orion constellation. Now, I talk about Orion in Reality Check and its connection to Saturn and the Moon. Together, influence human perception. So, the article is called, Unprecedented Discovery Seems to Defy Fundamental Astronomical Theories. I talk about James Webb Space Telescope discoveries in episode 92. The article continues, The Orion Nebula, a glowing cloud of dust and gas, is one of the brightest nebula in the night sky and identifiable as the sword in the Orion constellation. You can also see the three belt stars as well. They're quite easy to see. Um, the article continues, Located at 1,300 light years from Earth, the nebula has long presented astronomers with a wealth of celestial objects to study, including planet-forming disks around young stars and brown dwarfs, or objects with a mass between that of planets and stars. Astronomers used Webb's near-infrared camera, called NearCam, to capture mosaics of the Orion Nebula in short and long wavelengths of light, revealing unprecedented details and unexpected discoveries. When astronomers Samuel G. Pearson and Mark J. McCoffrian studied the short wavelength image of the Orion Nebula, they zoomed in on the Trapezium Cluster, a young star-forming region that's about one million years old, filled to the brim with thousands of new stars. In addition to the stars, the scientists spotted brown dwarfs, which are too small to kickstart the nuclear fusion at their cores to become stars. Brown dwarfs have a mass that is below 7% the mass of the Sun. On the hunt for other low-mass isolated objects, the astronomers found something they had never seen, Pairs of planet-like objects with masses between 0.6 and 13 times the mass of Jupiter that appear to defy some fundamental astronomical theories. The scientists dubbed them Jupiter mass binary objects or jumbos. Although some of them are more massive than the planet Jupiter, they will be roughly the same size and only slightly larger, said Pearson, a European Space Agency research fellow at the European Space Research and Technology Centre in the Netherlands. The astronomers found 40 pairs of jumbos and two triple systems, all on wide orbits around one another. Although they exist in pairs, the objects are typically about 200 astronomical units apart, or 200 times the distance between Earth and the Sun. It can take between 20,000 and 80,000 years for the objects to complete an orbit around each other. Stars form from giant clouds of gas and dust that collapse beneath gravitational forces. This process continues as disks of gas and dust swirl around the stars, giving rise to planets. But no existing theories explain how the jumbos formed or why they are present in the Orion Nebula, McCoffrian said. For instance, some may consider the jumbos to be like rogue planets or objects of planetary mass that freely travel through space without orbiting stars. The main thing that we learn from all this is that there is something fundamentally wrong with either our understanding of planet formation, star formation, or both, said Pearson. The article continues, The Orion Nebula is a favourite observational target of astronomers and the larger and more sophisticated telescopes become, the more objects are revealed within the nebula, McCoffrey said. It's amazing how we're told to look up to scientists in the various disciplines as all-knowing and accept that if they say it, it must be true when you look at how many times 
science has been proven wrong and has had to revise what it thinks. And there's a great book on Orion called Orion's Door by researcher and artist Neil Haig, which I have read and would recommend. And the next subject for this episode is Farmers and Land. This is in the Daily Mail. Farmer who lost 40 acres of his land to make way for now cancelled HS2 route says he still has not received any compensation after it was acquired by compulsory purchase order in February. A farmer who lost 40 acres of his land to make way for the now axed HS2 route has revealed that he has still not received any compensation after it was acquired by a compulsory purchase order. And they have different versions of compulsory purchase in in, uh, other countries as well, uh, different names, basically the same principle where the state can take land from landowners. Bernard Kettle, 82, who owns Bower End Farm in Maidley, Staffordshire, had 40 acres of his 100-acre site compulsory purchased for the planned Phase 2A up to Crewe in February. He said that uh, he should be compensated with around £25,000 per acre after the plans were first delayed and later shelved, fuming I have not received a penny. Planners decided that a tunnel would need to go under his land and a compound built for where it had exited the earth. Mr Kettle had 500 cattle and crops galore but said he was left with nothing but a mud bath. It comes after the Birmingham to Manchester leg of HS2 was abandoned by Rishi Sunak at a Tory conference. Speaking on BBC Radio 4's You and Yours, Mr Kettle said his land had been decimated, adding, We've had what they call early works where they've come on and fetched off the fields into small paddocks and it's just a mud bath now. Mr Kettle is furious because HS2 value his land at £10,000 per acre, but the cost now is nearer to £25,000 per acre, meaning if he wanted to buy it back, he would struggle to afford it. He said he has had no money despite work already starting, such as digging newt ponds, spraying grass, planting trees with root balls still in plastic bags, and putting 11-foot-high fencing around the trees to protect them from the deer. I've been on the farm for 50 years and I have yet to see a deer, he quipped. In light of the northern leg of HS2 being cancelled, Mr Kettle said it leaves me in limbo because they served a compulsory purchase order so the land effectively belongs to the Secretary of State. They've taken 40 acres and I am left with about 50 acres but the problem is getting access to the 50 acres because of this erected fencing and I've got 67 gates across my farm to get through. I was dealing with a load of idiots because there was no common sense about what they were doing. They were digging new ponds and when the two-year delay came they backfilled them all. When quizzed on how much he stood to earn from the compulsory purchase order, he said market value £25,000 per acre. They also purchased my drive and stable block where my wife kept a horse. The driveway I access now via a license issued by the Secretary of State. I have not received a penny. The purchase of the driveway by the the purchase of the driveway by the Secretary of State has diminished the value of my domestic property. Sarah Beer, a specialist in compulsory purchase orders at Excello Law, explained the difficulties with the ongoing negotiations. Miss Beer, who was working for families caught up in HS2 drama, said HS2 was saying £10,000 per acre. Bernard knows it should be more in the realms of 20000 to 25000 When you have had land acquired subject to certain exceptions, one of them being there has not been a material change to the land, the land should be offered to the former landowner, so Bernard should have his land offered back to him. The crux of it all is that you have to buy back that land at open market value at the date you buy back, not the value at the date it was acquired from you. But when Mr Kettle asked 
if he even wanted the land back. He said, I'm 82 years of age and I don't want to carry on farming until I reach a century, so it's of no use to me. I would rather have the money in my pocket. It's been going on now since they took the advance payment and was applied for in February this year. We should have been paid by April, but we still have not been because they are finding every excuse under the sun not to pay. If I wait long enough, I shall end up with a wooden overcoat, a coffin, in other words. Transport Secretary Mark Harper said there will be people impacted by this who are not happy about this, and I accept that. When asked whether they will be compensated, Mr Harper said, well, no. The people impacted whose properties were purchased, those properties were purchased at market value. When Mr Sunak announced that HS2 would be scrapped between Birmingham and Manchester, he pledged to instead invest £36 billion into the North's existing rail network. The cancellation follows the decision in November 2021 to cancel HS2's eastern leg from Birmingham to Leeds to save between £30 billion to £40 billion amid fears the cost of the project would exceed £100 billion. In order to get plans off the ground, successive governments have bought up land across the country, decimating communities who saw neighbourhoods shuttered and cutting up thousands of acres of farmland. The Department for Transport has now confirmed that land earmarked for the HS2 routes, now scrapped, will not be protected for potential future expansion of the high-speed railway, meaning anything can now be built on them. And the next subject for this episode is... I was kidnapped by my runaway electric car. Terrified motorist 53 reveals his new £30,000 MG ZSEV began driving itself after suffering catastrophic malfunction, forcing him to dial 999 and crash it into a police van to get it to stop. Brian Morrison, 53, claims he was heading home from work at around 10pm on Sunday when his new Chinese-made fully electric car began driving itself at 30 miles an hour. Unable to use the brakes, the Glaswegian who runs his own social enterprise called Police who stopped the vehicle by allowing it to slowly crash into their van. Electric cars have been linked with a series of safety incidents. Concerns have been raised about fires caused by lithium-ion batteries with one battery that had become detached from a MG ZSEV identified as the cause of a fire in Australia. On September 24th, a family home in Merseyside was set on fire after their electric car reportedly exploded while sitting in their driveway. EV drivers are also suffering from a shortage of chargers, with marshals brought into police charge raids between drivers at motorway service stations. The boss of Britain's largest motorway service provider said long waits for plug-in points made the drivers very angry and stressed. Despite delaying an outright ban on petrol and diesel cars by 2030, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is sticking to plans that will require more than half of the new cars in the UK to be electric within five years. MG Motor UK said We've been urgently trying to make contact with Mr. Morrison so that his vehicle could be fully inspected by an engineering team. We take this matter very seriously, and now that contact has been made, we will be making every effort to resolve matters quickly and comprehensively for him. Mr. Morrison said, I realised something was wrong when I was coming up to a roundabout and went to slow down, but it failed to do so. Then I heard a loud grinding noise that sounded like brake pads. Because it was such a new car, I knew it could not be a problem with them. I managed to get around the roundabout going at about 30 miles an hour and then had a long road ahead of me, so I assumed it would stop without me accelerating, but it didn't. I had mobility issues, so I couldn't even jump out. I was completely trapped inside the car going at 30 miles an hour. It might not sound like it is very fast, but when you have no control over the speed and you're completely stuck inside, it's terrifying. Mr. Morrison initially called his wife in a panic to ask her to come out and warn cars ahead of him that he was unable to stop. After realising that he would soon have to navigate traffic lights and several roundabouts, he worried about crashing into pedestrians and pubgoers, he called 999. 
the car was just running away on his own. There was nothing I could do. When I dialed 999, they sent police to help and put some engineers on the line to try to solve the problem. And they were asking if it was a self-driving car. It was the first time the call handlers had experienced the issue and they had no idea what to do. So eventually three police vehicles arrived and were driving in front of me and behind me. Police initially told Mr. Morrison to throw his electronic key through their van window before driving off, but this failed to disengage the engine. They told him to try different ways of turning off the car, but these failed. Eventually, they told Mr. Morrison to deliberately drive into the back of their van before he got into a more built-up area. Mr. Morrison said, After trying to shut the car down, my entire dashboard lit up with faults, and then it all went away after a second and just had a big red car symbol that said, Drive safely, stop driving immediately, or something. I came up to a roundabout which slowed the car down to about 15 miles an hour, and the police van was waiting for me on the other side. I went into the back of the van while it was moving before they put on the brakes to stop me. After that, a police officer jumped into my car and did something which seemed to keep the car still. After I got out, they tried moving their van and the car kept going, so they had to sit with the van there for ages until the RAC got there. When the RAC mechanic got to me about three hours later, he plugged in the car to do a diagnostic check and there were pages of faults. He said he had never seen anything like it and decided he was not willing to turn the engine on to see what was wrong. Despite this and previous incidents involving electric cars, Mr. Sunak is currently sticking to plans that will require more than half of all new cars in the UK to be electric within five years. Motorists are expected to be guided towards making their next purchase electric under the zero emission vehicle mandate, which is expected to remain unchanged. By 2035, 100% of new car sales are expected to be zero emission, though petrol and diesel vehicles can still be traded on the second-hand market. For now, they can at least. Experts predict that fossil fuel cars will disappear from showrooms by 2030. That year that keeps popping up all over the place again. Because manufacturers are stepping up electric car production, meaning consumers will likely be forced into making the switch ahead of time anyway. Despite cheaper refuelling bills touted as an advantage of having an EV, the rise in the cost of electricity means recharging at public points can now prove more expensive than a petrol refill. There are already fears that Britain's electric car market disproportionately favours those with driveways. And the next subject for this episode is the HIV virus. This is in the Daily Mail. HIV can become like receiving a flu jab and require only one injection a year to keep it under control. Treatment for HIV can become like receiving a flu jab and require only one injection a year to keep the condition under control, according to a leading pharmaceutical boss. Deborah Waterhouse, Chief Executive of Viv Healthcare, which specialises in the treatment of HIV AIDS, told the Mail on Sunday that the company wants to release an annual jab within the next decade. Viv, owned by British pharma giant GlaxoSmithKline, currently offers an injection that people with HIV need to take every two months to keep their virus levels suppressed. Sold under the brand name Cabanuva, it has been available on the NHS since April last year as an alternative to the more common daily tablets. But Viv is working to develop a new version that will extend the gap between injections to four months. And Miss Waterhouse said there was also a path towards an injection that needs to be administered only twice a year. She added once a year treatments to suppress the virus were also becoming close at hand and could potentially be available in the early 2030s. You can get to a point where you only have to treat somebody once a year, almost like taking a flu vaccine, she said. Meanwhile, Viv is planning to offer the four monthly injection by 2027 and the sixth monthly dose by the end of the decade. And there is a connection between HIV and COVID-19 and it's this. Well both were tested for or allegedly tested for with the PCR test 
And the inventor of the PCR test, Kerry Millis, said that you cannot use his test to test for infectious diseases. I've talked about in this podcast at length before. So here's Kerry Mullis speaking about the PCR test during the time that AIDS was the virus to be scared of. I want to ask this to Kerry. How do they um, misuse PCR to estimate uh, all these so- supposed free viral RNAs that may or may not be there? Misuse PCR is not quite, I don't think you can misuse PCR. No, the results, the interpretation of it. See, if you, if you, if you can say, if, if, if they wanted, if, if they could find this virus in you at all, and with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. Right? I mean, because if you can mo- amplify one single molecule up to, a, to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's just very few molecules that you don't have at least one single one of them in your body okay so that could be thought of as a misuse of it just to to claim that it's meaningful it's 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 to test for that one and say that has any special meaning is what i think is the problem not that pcr has been misused it's like it's not an estimation no it's a real it's a really quantitative thing it tells you something about nature and about what's there but it 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 allows you to take a very minuscule amount of anything and make it measurable and then talk about it in meetings and stuff like it is important. See, that, that, that's not a misuse, that's just sort of a misinterpretation. The measurement for it is not, is not exact at all. It's not, it's not as good as our measurement for things like apples. An apple is an apple. You know, you can get something that's kind of like, if you've got enough things that look kind of like an apple and you stick them all together, you might think of it as an apple. But, and, and HIV is like that. Those tests are all based on things that are invisible, and they are, the results are inferred, in a sense. PCR is separate from that. It's just a process that's used to make a whole lot of something out of something. That's what also, it is. Um, but it's, they, but it's not, it doesn't tell you that you're sick, and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with really was going to hurt you or anything like that. So if we just go over some points of that quote again. So he said... If they could find this virus in you at all, this is HIV, if they could find this virus in you at all, with PCR, if you do it well, you can find almost anything in anybody. If you can amplify one single molecule up to something that you can really measure, which PCR can do, then there's very few molecules that you don't have one single one of in your body. The results are inferred. It doesn't tell you that you're sick, and it doesn't tell you that the thing you ended up with detected with PCR, in other words, really was going to hurt you or anything like that. So what the PCR technology does, not test, because it's not a test. This is why PCR test, COVID PCR test manufacturers like Creative Diagnostics and Airways Systems and other ones said, said on their website that the test was not intended for use as a diagnostic tool, which is what Kerry Willis, the inventor himself, said. It detects and amplifies genetic material. The idea is that you can examine genetic material when there's loads of copies made of it so it's easier to examine and and work with but it's not a test and Kerry Millis also talks in his book Dancing Naked in the Minefield about the HIV PCR test scam and I quote him in reality check on this so this is me talking in reality check the COVID hoax template has been used before to scam a fake virus. The AIDS epidemic, based on a fake virus, a fake test and fake death certificates, was a trial run for COVID-19. AIDS was claimed to be caused by HIV, 
But just as with SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus they said causes COVID-19, nobody has ever proven this virus to exist as a distinct, isolated entity. Kerry Mullis wrote about the AIDS hoax in his book, Dancing Naked in the Minefield. Mullis was working in a lab in Santa Monica, California, to detect retroviruses, or attempting to, with his PCR test in blood samples donated by the Red Cross. Mullis wanted a reference paper which proved HIV causes AIDS to include in a paper he was writing. He asked a virologist who uttered the classic line, You don't need a reference, everybody knows it. The virologist suggested Mullis cite a report by the CDC about morbidity and mortality of HIV. The report only stated that HIV causes AIDS without any explanation of how this was discovered and without citing the original scientific work. Many virologists simply assumed that because the CDC had claimed to have discovered that HIV causes AIDS, the HIV causes AIDS. As I keep emphasising, we need to question everything. Mullis lectured on the subject of his PCR test at meetings where people were discussing HIV causing AIDS, and he asked people at the meeting how they knew this was the case. So this is a quote from his book. Everyone had the answer at home, in the office, some drawer, they all knew, and they would send me the papers as soon as they got back. But I never got any papers. Nobody ever sent me the news about how AIDS was caused by HIV. Another quote from Kerry Melissa. I did computer searches. Neither Montagnier or Gallo were the two people credited with discovering HIV, nor anyone else had published papers describing experiments which led to the conclusion that HIV probably caused AIDS. I read the papers in Science, that's a uh, journal, for which they had become well known as AIDS doctors, but all they had said was that they had found evidence of past infection, which was probably HIV in some AIDS patients. They found antibodies, which had always been considered evidence of past disease, not present disease. Antibodies signaled that the virus had been defeated, the patient had saved himself or herself. There was no indication in these papers that this virus caused a disease. They didn't show that everybody with the antibodies had the disease. In fact, they found some healthy people with antibodies. And in reality check, I look at the flaws with antibodies. The idea that because you've got antibodies means you've had a, a virus is, is absolutely nonsense when you look at how flawed the science of antibodies is and is well known to be. So Mullis eventually got the chance to ask Luc Montagnier of Francis Pasteur Institute, uh, along with Robert Gallo of America's National Institutes of Health, credited with the discovery of the AIDS virus, uh, Gallo and Montagnier. Mullis asked him for a reference and Montagnier referred him back to the CDC report which Mullis had already examined. Mullis heard an interview while driving one night on national public radio with Peter Jewsberg, a prominent virologist at Berkeley University and a California scientist of the year. This interview finally gave Mullis the answer he was looking for to explain why he had been unable to find a reference proving HIV causes AIDS. There isn't one. No scientific literature existed to justify the multi-billion dollar industry and the scare stories repeated by the media and the entire global medical establishment, which means every single claim by every single expert in every single country was unfounded with no supporting medical literature. Jewsberg told the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences that there was no evidence to back up the claim that a virus known as HIV causes AIDS. And Willis explains the PCR test scam in relation to AIDS, which was then repeated with COVID-19. He says, if an HIV-positive woman develops uterine cancer, for example, she is considered to have AIDS. If she is not HIV-positive, she simply has uterine cancer. An HIV-positive man with tuberculosis has AIDS. If he tests negative, he simply has tuberculosis. And that, when people test positive with a PCR test today, which Melissa vociferously claim cannot be used to detect viruses and infection, they're claimed to be a case of COVID-19. 
And that's how the HIV and COVID hoaxes were pulled off. PCR tests not testing for the virus, redesignation of illness and death from other causes, along with the compliant fake death fake death certificates, and along with the gullible and compliant media and population, as well as the fact that the one of the main drugs or the main drug to treat HIV, AZT, was uh, very dangerous to health and caused death. And of course, that was repeated with COVID with midazolam and morphine in Britain and remdesivir in America and Coletra in Germany and other drugs in other countries. And then redesignating those PCR positive deaths as COVID. And there's another article here on viruses, uh, on COVID. So this is in the Daily Mail. Doctors admit they cannot tell COVID apart from allergies or the common cold anymore, highlighting how mild viruses become. Well, how about they never could in the first place? We were told that COVID had flu-like symptoms, as do other illnesses, including flu, of course, which, according to official figures, apparently disappeared in 2020 around the world because it was an obvious redesignation operation. Anyway, this article says... COVID patients are becoming harder to distinguish from those suffering from allergies or the common cold doctors say. The most common symptoms in the virus are now sore throat, sneezing or congestion, the same as RSV, asthma or a pollen allergy. And what about if some of COVID cases were asthma or a pollen allergy? For comparison, in the early stages of the pandemic, COVID had very distinct symptoms such as a dry cough and a loss of taste or smell. Which can happen with the cold or flu and other illnesses. Dr. Eric Eiting, Vice Chair of Operations for Emergency Medicine at Mount Sinai, New York City, which was hammered hard during the pandemic, said virtually every COVID patient in hospital at the moment was really mild. Well, New York, as with here in Britain and I'm sure other places in America, was said to be particularly badly hit by COVID. And in America, they gave people in care homes and hospitals drugs like remdesivir, and in Britain, midazolam in combination with morphine, there is an end-of-life sedative, midazolam, and remdesivir is used in the execution process. It can cause, midazolam especially can cause respiratory problems, which can be redesignated and were redesignated to COVID. And I've talked about that in this podcast before, and I talk about it in my new book, Reality Check. That was this murder of elderly people and other people, uh, other ages and care homes, was called the first wave of COVID. So the article continues. Dr. Iting told B- Dr. Iting told NBC News, just about every COVID patient I've seen has had really mild symptoms. The only way that we knew it was COVID was because we happened to be testing them. Exactly. He added, it is not causing typical symptoms that we were seeing before. It's congestion, sometimes sneezing, usually a mild sore throat. The article continues, COVID can also cause fever, headaches, fatigue and coughs, but they are becoming less common. Dr. Michael Dano, an emergency physician in California, added, especially since July, when this recent mini surge started, younger people with upper respiratory symptoms, 99% of the time they go home with supportive care. The article continues, by upper respiratory symptoms, he was referring to coughs, runny noses, sore throats, fever and chills. Doctors say COVID has become much milder now because almost every American has immunity against it from vaccination or previous infection. 
New variants have also emerged which appear to have made the virus more infectious but less deadly. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention warned a triple-demic of COVID, flu and RSV could strike the US this winter. And for the first time, people can get vaccinated against all three viruses. Doctors hope enough people get vaccinated to help avert another triple-demic like last year when hospitals were overwhelmed with an early flu season, an onslaught of RSV and yet another winter coronavirus surge. And the final subject for this episode is transgender. This is in The Telegraph. Transgender women taking hormones up to 95% more likely to suffer heart disease. Researchers found that transgender women taking gender-affirming hormones are almost twice as likely to suffer from any cardiovascular disease as men. The new data is published in the European Journal of Endocrinology. The study revealed that all transgender people, regardless of the sex they were born or the gender they were transitioning to, were at significantly increased risk of deadly conditions like heart attacks, strokes, high blood pressure and high blood fat and cholesterol levels. Well, I would argue about the high fat and cholesterol levels being a problem, as I explore in great detail in Reality Check. The body needs cholesterol, and it's not fat that makes you fat, it's sugar and carbohydrates. Anyway, the article continues. They compared the incidence of cardiovascular disease with the control group of 26,700 people and presented their results to the European Association for the Study of Diabetes. People who were assigned male at birth and taking estrogen as a transgender woman were 93% more likely to suffer from cardiovascular disease than men and 73% more likely than women. The incidence rate was around 3% for transgender women at around 1.5% for men and 1.7% for women. Dr. Dorte Glimborg, lead author from Medention University Hospital, Denmark, said hormone treatments such as oestrogen will increase fat mass and lower lean body mass and increased oestrogen is usually associated with increased risk of autoimmune disease and inflammation. Dr. Glintboy said this meant there was also a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes as a result but this was not confirmed by all studies. Now this theme of autoimmunity, the idea of the immune system attacking the body, as I explore in great detail, great depth in reality check, the idea of the immune system is that it protects you against infection and against germs in the form of viruses and microorganisms. But if viruses don't exist, and I present an enormous amount of evidence for that in the new book, and bacteria and other microorganisms don't cause disease, they are a response to disease, then why do we need an immune system? Therefore, why should we think that we have one? What we do have is channels, we have avenues to get rid of toxins in the body and the action of getting rid of the toxins can look like what we call sickness. It's the body using the available avenues of trying to get stuff out of the body. And there's only a certain number of ways it can do that. What happens is the medical system sees those, what they call symptoms, as the problem. And it tries to suppress the symptoms, which means the detoxification cannot play out fully, which means that the symptoms come back again, again and again and again, etc only more powerful each time. So I don't agree with everything in this article, but what I will say is that hormones taken by transgender people, men and women, are known to cause serious problems. There's a great documentary on the iconic ICK and IC media platform, which you can access with a seven-day free trial, iconic.com, called No Turning Back. It's even got some mainstream media coverage, which looks at the effects of puberty blocking drugs and hormones and that kind of thing i recommend watching it and the fact that children are being given 
drugs like puberty blocking drugs is absolutely disgraceful but the transgender agenda is massively part of the agenda of this global cult and so it gets pushed no matter what happens So what is the connection between all these subjects? Well, the Online Safety Bill exists to censor alternative information and opinion. The global cult, which I write and talk about, know that a vast number of people around the world now, especially since the COVID era, but it's been building exponentially over the last few decades, can see that the mainstream official explanations for current events and the world in general don't stand up to scrutiny and alternative explanations make far more sense and have been shown to be far more accurate over the decades. Everything is perception. Every human action and opinion has its root in perception. The idea behind the online safety bill and censorship in general is to limit the range of information from which people can form a perception. The alternative media has also limited itself in recent times. GB News is promoted as an alternative to the national media. GB News presenter Mark Stein resigned from the station after the government censor, sorry, regulator, Ofcom, responded to a segment on the COVID fake vaccine. GB News held him responsible for paying fines for the segment. The channel said GB News takes Ofcom compliance extremely seriously. All our presenters are expected to comply fully with the broadcast code and there are no exceptions. How can a platform claim to be alternative if they are just going to comply with Ofcom, which is there to censor? What's the point in an alternative platform existing if they're going to censor themselves? The national media are expected to comply with Ofcom guidelines and the alternative GB News is expected to comply with Ofcom guidelines. Where's the difference? Professional censor Imran Ahmed of Hope Not Hate which began as an allegedly anti-discrimination organisation, but is in truth a censorship organisation, was interviewed on GB News, and instead of being asked questions such as what gives him the right to decide what people see and hear, why his anti-hate organisation is now seeking to censor anyone challenging official narratives, and who funds his operation, he was interviewed by a couple of clueless presenters about the dangers of alleged hate and misinformation. The national media asks softball questions to Imran Ahmed, and GB News asks softball questions to Imran Ahmed. Again, where's the difference? People who have seen the lies and misinformation of the national and misinformation of the national media and are looking for an alternative get trapped in a holding pattern by fake alternatives like GB News. I'm seeing a very clear division within the alternative media, a very clear distinction between the fake and genuine. The heroes so-called of the alternative media like GB News, Russell Brand, Andrew Tate, who has said some good things about the idea, the concept of toxic masculinity, and said that men need to be strong and stand up for themselves, which I agree with, and play that through to standing up to authority as well, which is good. But, but then he seems to equate that with owning Bugatti and having success from a material perspective. But these alternative media names, which have only become alternative media names five minutes ago, are reporting what the pioneers of the alternative media were uncovering decades ago before there even was an alternative media or even an internet 
without giving any credit to the original sources who did the hard yards to research and communicate the information before anybody else. Communicating the information back then was public speaking events to tiny audiences. Such was the low level of interest in those days and handing out leaflets in the street. Google didn't exist until 1998, years after the alternative media uh, pioneers had already started to uncover the information. The cult have their controlled opposition within the alternative media for various reasons, and one of the main ones is to create a holding pattern of limited subject matter barely distinguishable from the mainstream media. A lot of the fake alternative content, however, is produced by genuine people clueless of any wider context. GB News has members of Parliament as presenters, for goodness sake, while another fake alternative name was encouraging people to vote for the Liberal Democrats. The fact they are encouraging people to vote at all, and therefore engage with the political system, means they're not alternative. I'm also seeing infighting, name-calling, and accusations of controlled opposition, which is all very childish and needs to stop if we're going to get anywhere, which is, I say, why it started. Divide and rule equals success for the cult's agenda. Unity equals the end of the cult's agenda. People think GB News is an alternative because it covers subjects, interviews guests, and makes points and says things the BBC don't say. Well, the point is its presenters and content are mainstream-minded. They're only a fractional difference from the mainstream. One of the most recent examples of this hijacking of the alternative media is the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, or ARC, fronted by psychologist and author Jordan Peterson. The ARC is the World Economic Forum, the World Economic Forum is one of the major organisations through which this cult agenda is promoted and orchestrated. It's the World Economic Forum with a different backdrop, despite being presented as an alternative. A true alternative questions everything and has no limits perceptually or content-wise. The story about space and Orion that I started with in this episode is a classic example. There is basically no exploration of what we don't know in the limited alternative media. The nature of reality and learning ever more about the universe, the true nature of self and the deepest, darkest reaches of how we are manipulated and controlled is entirely ignored by the limited alternative because they don't know about it to a large extent, while others do, but purposely, for varying reasons, don't go there. But in going there, we will find the answers instead of just learning more about problems we already know about. I have said many times in podcasts and books that society is agenda-driven, not people-driven. A global cult with a nightmare agenda for humanity is deciding the future of our lives as long as people continue to allow them to do so. The agenda that was predicted decades ago by the alternative media, pioneers, is now playing out. The COVID hoax, which was orchestrated by this cult, as I show very clearly in Reality Check, was played to dramatically advance the agenda like never before. Cult orchestrated events are never for one reason, and the COVID-19 pandemic hoax is no different. My first book, Pay-Per-View, in print was finished and early versions were printed before the COVID hoax. I saw various agenda goals that I laid out in that book, including early versions, playing out as a result of the events of 2020, months before the final version of the book had even gone to the printers. Enormous numbers of people worldwide have started looking at the world anew as a result of the COVID hoax. This happened not just because of the way government and authority imposed unscientific fascism, but also because they have seen that what people like me and other conspiracy theorists 
in inverted commas, have been saying for decades was happening before their eyes. And yet it's at this time that the alternative media has become more limited, fragmented and infiltrated than ever before. And this global cult plan everything down to the nth degree. It's part of their psyche. They feel they have to do that. And they're incredibly insecure, which is one reason why. So we've seen over the years when a major event happens, like 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq by Britain and America on the lie of weapons of mass destruction, how people have woken up and started to look at the world differently as a result. And so this pandemic hoax was clearly planned decades ago, as I show in Reality Check. And thus the cult must have factored into their planning that people were going to wake up worldwide as a result of the COVID hoax. And I think they've timed this this redirection of the alternative media down this limited infiltrated path that I'm talking about that we're seeing unfold now. I don't think it's just happened after the COVID hoax. In retrospect, I think this has been time to play out now. The cult's agenda goes back millennia and 2020 onwards has seen them running for the finish line. We're still nowhere near where the cult wants to go, but the cult timeline needs to reach a certain point of control and centralization of global power by 2030. I'm not saying the cult plan to have achieved their agenda by 2030, only that it is clearly a key year in their timeline. The World Health Organization have drawn up a pandemic treaty which is planned to be signed by its member states. Any countries who do sign will be subject to the human's diktats on any and every pandemic in future. The treaty denies its member states national sovereignty on pandemic policy, so protesting will make no difference as governments won't be able to erase or remove restrictions in response. Future pandemics are planned to be made up just like COVID to allow literally a handful of people under one roof to dictate global health policy and by extension the fine detail of people's lives from a central point on behalf of the cult which created the World Health Organization as an agency of the cult-created United Nations after the Second World War for this very reason. Cult timelines are projected far further into the future than the unfolding of events in the public arena. The World Health Organization dictating global health and pandemic policy to the world in the image of the pandemic treaty is a classic example. Klaus Schwab and his Bill Gates-funded World Economic Forum fronts up the Great Reset with the tagline, you will own nothing and you will be happy. The plan is an end to private ownership of anything, including property, which is one reason why house prices for first-time buyers are being made so extraordinarily high. Many young people are renting flats nowadays and buying flats that don't even exist at the time of buying them through the right-to-buy scheme. The agenda is that authority will only allow access to the fundamentals of life to those who do what authority says. Anyone disobeying or even challenging authority or official narratives on any subject on social media will not be able to work, purchase, travel or anything else. Food shortages as a result of the COVID hoax and now sanctions on Russia are being manufactured with the plan to replace natural food with synthetic food. The COVID hoax and the human caused climate change hoax fuse with the same solutions for both. One example is a digital ID system which will combine vaccination history, carbon footprint and social media activity. The plan is this digital ID will be used as a digital currency eventually embedded under the skin. Yes, the climate is changing, but it's not a crisis and it's not caused by humans. And the technology has existed for decades to overcome the need for fossil fuel use and energy bills. 
public just don't get access to it because the more independence people have, the more free they are. So you want them to be dependent. So you make sure they only get what they need from you. So you control them. The public are denied access to free energy technology while at the same time being told they need to cut down on energy use because of the sky high energy bills as a result of the COVID hoax and sanctions on Russia due to the Ukraine conflict. West controlled Ukraine. To achieve this, the cult needed to destroy businesses and independent incomes, and we've seen this worldwide since 2020, and that's one of the reasons the COVID hoax happened. The digital ID system is planned to connect with the global smart grid, itself proposed to save the world from climate change, which would see everything connected to AI. The digital ID will decide if you can purchase or not with a cashless currency known in Britain as a universal basic income, but the cashless agenda is planned to be global. And right on cue at the start of the pandemic hopes, Gates' own criminal and World Health Organization chief Tedros Adhanom announced that the virus could be caught from cash, so people in shops should use cards or smartphones instead. People have asked me why governments and health authorities worldwide would have participated in the COVID hoax. The vast majority of people working in health agencies and government would have believed what the public were told. Only a tiny few advisors and political leaders would have had any knowledge at all of the hoax. I'm not saying they would have known there was no virus, but they would have known the cases and deaths come from a test which can't test and redesignation of other causes, especially those advisors connected to Bill Gates. My answer to the question of why those responsible played their part is a look at all the devastation economically, financially, personally, and in terms of the food supply and the supply chain in other ways. And as a result of the events uh, of the last few years, and you have your answer. People look at the devastation and think that means there can't have been any conspiracy because such a conspiracy would lead to obvious destruction. The destruction and devastation is exactly why there would be a conspiracy because that's why the conspiracy was planned and orchestrated in the first place to advance the agenda. If you want to transform global society, you must first destroy the status quo of that global society to build back better, in the words of Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum advocates around the world, not least in politics. Creating problems and then offering solutions is an age-old technique of the cult. The solutions are always an advancement and another layer of the cult's agenda. And a key rule of thumb to understand this is that this cult has no borders and operates in every country. Governments, health agencies, media, Silicon Valley and front people like Gates, Schwab and other so-called philanthropists, cult front people in truth, selling the cult's agenda are all assets of the same one cult web. I've been asked why governments would destroy their own economy, but, but governments are not representing the people, they're representing the cult web. The cult planned the pandemic hopes for decades, as I show in Reality Check, and they would not have played that card if they knew governments were just going to refuse to follow the script. The destruction of the economy, businesses and employment was a major reason the pandemic hopes card was played. The COVID hopes has created massive inflation and we're only just seeing the start consequences of that now. A war would obviously create even more economic consequences and it's all part of creating what's known by some as the Hunger Games society whereby the population are in staggering levels of poverty while the rich get richer which is exactly what has happened during the Covid hoax. A war would take the move towards that society onto another level and this plays into the great reset of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum with Schwab's claim that People will own nothing but be happy. Authority will dictate your access to the basics of life with independent income no more, and even growing food will be made illegal.
the Hunger Games Society is certainly unfolding. A report by Oxfam in 2019 estimated that the world's richest 26 men owned as much as the poorest half of the global population, and none of them are in the inner core of the cult. Nearly 70 of the world's leading economic entities are cult-owned corporations, not countries. Apple historically became the world's first trillion-dollar company in 2018. Gates' Microsoft has a GDP larger than countries like Canada, Russia and Spain. Giant cult-owned corporations are increasingly dominating and the COVID lockdowns have massively decimated a large amount of their competition worldwide, as planned. Climate lockdowns are planned to continue this destruction under the guise of saving the planet from climate change, which is not caused by humans or anything on Earth. Cult-owned corporations pay a fractional amount of tax. This is possible through their control of politicians, through political donations and therefore laws. Smaller companies must pay every penny of tax and thus cannot compete. Cult-created companies like the Silicon Valley behemoths have the added advantages of not needing to watch the bottom line in their formative years, thus undercutting any competition. Funding is always available to keep cult-owned companies afloat. They can also sell their products below cost, again to the detriment of smaller companies, in an aim to secure a monopoly. Peter McLaughlin, an entrepreneur, consultant and professor at California State University, wrote in 2017 that Walmart achieved their wealth by selling foreign goods to domestic consumers, cheap Chinese garbage manufactured in offshore factories paying slave wages, wages that American manufacturers could never match, he said. America lost an estimated 400,000 jobs from 2001 to 2013 as a result of Walmart importing and selling Chinese-made goods. And the point is, China... Is designed, if there is a third world war, China is designed to win the war. And since the COVID hoax, the West has become more like China because China is the blueprint for the world that this cult plan. Nothing gives the cult the justification to introduce their agenda more than a pandemic or a hoax of a pandemic, the climate change hoax and a war. The cult have played these cards right at the start of the decade before 2030. And that is no coincidence. One of the subjects I covered today was farming. Here's John Kerry, U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, talking absolute nonsense by definition about the impact of farming on the climate. Agriculture contributes about 33% of all the emissions of the world, uh, depending a little bit on how you count it, but it's anywhere from 26 to 33. And we can't get to net zero. We don't get this job done unless agriculture is front and center as part of the solution. But with a growing population on the planet, we just crossed the threshold of 8 billion fellow citizens around the world. We just crossed that in this last year. Emissions from the food system alone are projected to cause another half a degree of warming by mid-century on the current course that we are today. A two-degree future could result in an additional 600 million people not getting enough to eat. And you just can't continue to both warm the planet while also expecting to feed it. Doesn't work. So we have to reduce emissions from the food system to keep the 1.5 degrees alive. We're seeing constant attacks on the supply of food and it's all about the cult controlling the food supply and getting people off the land agricultural land in the countryside and into smart cities or mega cities in the words of the united nations agenda 21 the united nations is very relevant to all this as they are at the forefront of pushing the human cause climate change hoax which i demolish in my book pay-per-view in print 
The UN created the political organization. It's what it is, a political organization, the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The UN also created the World Health Organization in 1948, which was central to the COVID hoax with its unofficial owner, Bill Gates, the second biggest funder. The chairman of the WHO is Tedros Adhanom. He worked previously for a Bill Gates organization, Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, and is a criminal from Ethiopia who was found guilty of covering up cholera epidemics three times in 2006, 2009 and 2011. The Rockefeller family created the United Nations after the Second World War, which they were involved in orchestrating. The United Nations is part of a Rothschild-created secret society called the Round Table, created in the early 1900s. And the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers are two major cult families. The Rockefellers and the Rothschilds orchestrated World War II, among other reasons, to justify the creation of the United Nations. The Rockefellers have long been involved with eugenics, and it was the Rockefellers who created the scalpel and drug medical system through John D. Rockefeller, who was also the guy who founded the General Education Board in America in 1902. The United Nations headquarters sits on land donated by the Rockefellers. The agenda has been long in planning, and we're seeing the agenda even being sales pitched now through the World Economic Forum in the United Nations by politicians, by cult front people like Bill Gates and others, because the manipulation can only last for so long under the radar before it has to be visibly manifest. Otherwise, society won't change and the agenda won't be achieved. Now the agenda is becoming ever more blatantly obvious. The sales pitch comes in to promote the agenda as the way to save the planet and run society and solve the problems which this cult have created and allowed to happen. The means of transport in the UN Agenda 21 world is designed to be high-speed trains and driverless cars so people cannot go where authority doesn't want them to go. Travel is designed to be limited to megacities or mega-regions, as they're also called. 15-minute cities are an expression of this agenda. AI is planned to run the smart cities, and I talk about the true nature of this AI in reality check. The smart cities are designed to be run by wireless and smart technology, which means extremely low frequency, distorted electromagnetic radiation fields everywhere. Not everyone will be able to make the transition to such an irradiated to such an irradiated environment, and so the plan is a transition from a biological human to a biological synthetic human. And when you look at the technology envisaged by people like Aldous Huxley in his novel Brave New World, which was written partly from imagination but also from knowledge. He was an insider of this agenda, Aldous Huxley, as was Orwell, which is why 1984 and Brave New World have proven to be so incredibly accurate, given when they were published in 1932 for Brave New World and 1948 for 1984. You look at some of the technology that is appearing now to incubate babies and give babies vitamins and minerals and, and it even looks almost identical to the technology in the illustrations for Brave New World of a technology where babies were grown synthetically in, in a laboratory. That's the plan eventually. Humans are created synthetically and raised by the state. And you've only got to look now at where some of these lifelike robots are and in the, in the hidden, in the shadows, in the underground bases and secret projects, it will be far more advanced and even you look at what can be done now in terms of creating synthetic skin and blood and genetics. And it's incredible how advanced it is because the technology already exists. It just needs to be rolled out. And 
and this might seem extraordinary, I don't care. I'm interested in the truth. I've seen enough evidence to convince me that this is real. Human cloning, incredibly uh, advanced uh, compared to what people would think it is, where they actually can clone whole people. And those people can think and move around and function in everyday life and appear outwardly to anyone who doesn't know to be as human as they are. Now, you could have the debate about whether a clone would have a soul or not, and that's a separate debate. But the fact that they can do it is an absolute certainty. So from that perspective, the synthetic human agenda is far more possible than it would seem on first hearing. And it's said that clones are created from genetic material, where they're even creating synthetic genetic now. The synthetic human planned by this global cult and their agenda is planned to have no gender, no procreation, and thus no family. Not only are smart cities designed to be run by AI, not only is all technology designed to be run by, and so many things today are smart, uh, designed to be run by AI, but so too is the human mind as per the transhuman agenda, as I've gone into detail about in this podcast many times in, in the books, is the end game. And the technological agenda is the end game of the overall agenda and is, has been all along because the technological disparity between what we see in the public arena and what actually exists is incredible in scale. The agenda, and indeed the control by this cult, goes back millennia, and so does the plan to connect humanity to AI. And I explain how that's possible in Reality Check. The plan is that AI will replace the human mind and do all its thinking. If people don't want this agenda to happen, and there's much more as I detail in the books, and as I have detailed over the years in this podcast, then we need to acknowledge how we're manipulated to accept and advance it, where it's ultimately coming from and who is ultimately behind it, and its deepest depths. Come full circle to how I started this analysis. Tyranny is on one side of the barrier of limited information and perception. Freedom is on the other. As Neo says in The Matrix, I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you.